All right, got another show from the archives for you. This is going to be May or June of 2012. And let me explain a little something for you here. Um, the radio station that we were on, which was a 100,000-watt FM talk station, had switched formats after almost eight years back in March of 2012. And uh, they had gone to a Spanish format. So that left us with jobs, but on um, AM stations, one in Winston-Salem and one was in Raleigh. And they immediately handcuffed us and said, here, do these amazing eight-minute segments that have to end exactly at this time every time. It, they're called hard outs in the broadcast business, and it's kind of hard to shoehorn yourself into that. So we did it, um, and we were on those stations until June of 2012, and that's when we went again for the remarkable run of two years at News Talk 1110 WBT in Charlotte. Um, what are you going to hear here? At first, we do a little birtherism stuff and Obama versus Romney, and then we do some social media stuff and then get back to Obama and Romney, those that great magical time that was 2012. Enjoy some old Brad and Brit right here. Got some great news. Great news. A lot of folks were uh, very, very nervous. A lot of folks were sweating. Not sure. And after the state of Hawaii stopped trolling the Secretary of State of Arizona, Ken Burnett, for asking Hawaii to get them to just would you double check to make sure that Obama was born in the United States and Hawaii sent him the Arizona Secretary of State verification of the president's birth records. Arizona Secretary of State Ken Bennett says now he is sufficiently convinced and the president, Barack Hussein Obama, will appear on the Arizona presidential ballot in November. You okay? Uh, man, that was a close one. I was kind of kind of sweating that. The Arizona Secretary of State has been sufficiently convinced by the state of Hawaii that the president was born in Hawaii, thus the United States. His statement, Ken Bennett, Arizona Secretary of State, is, as Arizona's chief elections officer, I have the responsibility to certify the ballot to the state's 15 counties. At the request of numerous constituents... I merely, how many? I, don't, I, I think it was like 1,200 people signed a petition. Yeah, the so. answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. I merely asked Hawaiian officials to verify the information contained when President Obama's original birth certificate was open to question. They have complied with the request. I consider the matter closed. But Joe Arpaio has told WorldNet Daily, your birth or headquarters... He is not calling it quits. Quote, I am not calling my cold case posse investigators home from Hawaii, and I don't plan on ending my investigation prematurely. End of quote from America's sheriff, Joe Arpaio. This is why I continually write this on uh, all of our little posts. It never stops. It never, ever, ever stops. Never. Never. I mean, this was an embarrassing story to begin with. It really was. And it's ending with a whimper, as it should. But it should have never been a story in the first place. This guy's the Secretary of State Uh. of Arizona, screwing around with this kind of stuff. Completely taking the bait and running with it. And we, we really, we really don't want to be in the category of Florida or, or Arizona as being one of these states that's perpetually made fun of. Too late. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> West Virginia. Well, today is the first day that the, uh, marriage amendment. Yeah becomes part of the North Carolina Constitution. Right. So relax. All the gay people who weren't allowed to get married before are still not allowed to get married today. Relax. Well, you're double not allowed. Relax, crazy preacher over there in, what is it, Maiden? Maiden. Yeah, no, he's not relaxing. Relax, nut guy down in Fayetteville. No. Relax. He ain't relaxing either. They ain't getting married. Relax. The great gay invasion of 2012 has been turned back, ladies and gentlemen. 
I'd like to see a Ken Burns documentary on that one. The gays advanced as far as Wilkesboro before they were turned back. See, but this one, this is almost as upside down, our vote here, as what we pointed out last hour. The North Carolina Hispanics, overwhelmingly in support of Mitt Romney, nationally the polls are 70 to 30, 65 to 35, pick your poll, in favor of Obama. We vote, what was it? 69 to 31? 61, 39. And opposition to gay marriage has hit a new low among Americans. 39% say they're opposed to the legalization of gay marriage. That's a new low. And polls showed before this vote took place that a majority of North Carolinians supported either same-sex marriage, I, or civil unions for homosexuals. I, I, I give up. <laughs> Forget figuring I, it out. I, I just give up, Forget, and, I, and I give up But using... it makes... I, I want to know, everybody who thinks that this was such a thumb in the eye to Barack Obama, it makes complete sense to me, hear me out on this, that North Carolina would carry this amendment, 61 to 39, and yet Barack Obama would win the election and carry North Carolina in November. Based on the schizophrenic nature, whatever you want to call it, of this state, that makes complete and total sense to me. I'm not saying that's going to happen. So you consider it a leading contrary indicator because yeah. of the way our behavior has been Yes, in terms of its unpredictability. I know. And I know the polls are showing Mitt Romney winning in North Carolina now by uh, a small margin when you factor in, factor in the uh, the margin of error and all that stuff. But it makes it makes total sense to me that, yes, you would have this happen in May, and in November, Barack Obama would win the state of North Carolina. But when you think about it, when I mean, here it is. It is still May. This campaign really hasn't started. No. Because until you get the people who don't pay attention right. to political campaigns to start paying attention, that's not till after Labor Day. Mm-hmm. It ain't happening yet. This afternoon, interview with Time Magazine out today. Mitt Romney puts a hard number on his promise to turn around the job market. Here's the quote. I can't possibly predict what the unemployment rate's going to be at the end of one year. I can tell you that over a period of four years, by virtue of the policies that we put in place, we'd get the unemployment rate down to 6%, perhaps a little lower. It depends in part upon the growth rate of the globe, as well as what we're seeing in the United States. So... Let's analyze what he said. Number one, <clears throat> it was just uh, a month ago that he said that any unemployment rate over 4% would be unsatisfactory. But apparently that, okay, we'll just forget that he said that because we'll etch a sketch that away. Because that now it's it's, can it's 6%. I, well, that's can I, exp- I, I can explain that to you. What? I think he's uh, what he's saying is Obama has created such a huge problem for him. It's going to take him, uh, he's got to work as hard as he can in that first term just to get it down to 6%. Now, if you give him a second term, maybe he'll get it down to four. But Obama's dug, dug us such a hole. That's oh, the problem. But wait a second. Wait a second. When Obama took office, the unemployment rate was on its way ah. up, 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 up for, for several months after he took office before any of his policies took place. And it peaked in October of 09. Curses. October of 09. Remember, he took office in January of yeah. 09. Yeah. So nine months later, in October, it peaked at 10 percent today it is at 8.1 percent so if you run that out another three years from today you would figure all right well then another two percent will lop up that gets you down to six percent so unless i'm catching this wrong here mitt romney is saying whatever obama has been doing that's knocked the employment rate uh to eight percent or the unemployment rate down to 8.1% from 10, I'd essentially be doing the same kinds of things. And he gives the qualification of saying, you know, it depends upon the growth of the globe as well as what we're seeing in the United States. So you want to talk about low expectations. (laughs) You want to hear some of this uh, Time Magazine deal here? Go ahead. The president says he wants to focus a lot of the election debate on your career at Bain Capital. Do you welcome that? Well, uh, of course. I'd like to also focus on his record. What, what, is it, what is it that he's done as the president of the United States over the last four years? Has he uh, uh, established the revitalization he, he promised he would bring to us? Did he hold unemployment below 8%? Uh, it's been, what, 39 months now. That hasn't happened. He promised it would happen by virtue of his stimulus. Gasoline prices, are people happy with those? Home prices, 
They happy with the home prices, the level of foreclosures? Do they think someone can do better? There's a, there's a president who spends his time blaming other people for the fact that he has been unsuccessful in turning around this economy. And I think the reason you're seeing across the country people saying they'd like to try someone new is because they believe this president, while he may be a nice guy, is simply not up to the task of helping guide an economy. That's the in over his head theory. Mm-hmm. All right. You got another one? No, that's it for now. That's it. And you pretty much covered the thing about the unemployment down to 6% by the end of his first term. Yeah. Those are the real big takeaways from that Time Magazine deal. Right. I think he was a speaker there with Mark Halperin. I think that's right. Of uh, Time and uh, MSNBC. Now, here's the bombshell of the day. You ready? Have you heard this? This is really controversial. This is hot stuff. Turns out that uh, Barack Obama may have gotten worse high school grades than George W. Bush. Oh, no. May have. What I'm about to reveal to you is the thinnest story about this that you'll (laughs) ever hear, but let's just go with it for fun. New evidence shows that President Obama was among a college class with poor average SAT scores. So we don't have his number. We're just averaging out. But he was among a college class with poor average SAT scores. Doubts about the supposedly superior intellect of Mr. Obama were first raised after he refused to release his academic record. He's also made some factual errors during his time on the job. No! Although he's still a very long way behind his gaff-prone predecessor. And if uh, President Bush wants to defend himself in that area, we'll give him time. But it's now emerged that Mr. Obama was among a 1981 intake of transfer students to Columbia University that at the time was branded as one of the worst ever. The president came from Occidental Community College in Los Angeles, He was among 67 students whose average combined SAT scores were 1,100, which is uh, pretty average, very mediocre. That's not much lower than what I – actually, I got higher than that. Wait a minute. (laughs) Good job. And by the way, this this remarkable information comes to us courtesy of Breitbart News. (laughs) By comparison, George W. Bush – Got 12.06 on his SATs. So here's the comparison right now to make you... That's right. Pound salt. Obama, which we don't have his score, was part of a college class with poor SAT scores that transferred to Columbia. Eat my shorts. Right. How's that taste? If Mr. Obama, who majored in political science at Columbia, were near the average of that year... That's right. It would mean he had worse high school grades than a... Wait a minute. Since when are they going to conflate high school grades with SAT scores? Blah, blah, That's blah. how sloppy this story Here's is. What I hear this you not saying. his grades. This blah, is blah, SAT blah, scores. Blah, blah, blah. Blame Bush. Once again. I'm not blaming Bush. I rule. You drool. That's not it. I'm good at everything but eating pretzels. Right. <laughs> Worst sloppy, phony story I've seen all day long. Uh, we're going to be dealing in the next uh, couple segments probably with Facebook. And I want to start off by saying that uh, earlier this afternoon, we mentioned that we posted on our Facebook page, bradandbrit.com is how you uh, easily get to it, bradandbrit, with two T's, dot com, a picture of our office, our uh, show preparation office that we avoid as much as possible, and when you see the picture of it, you'll see why. It's just a, it's a disaster zone. We look like one of those places where they film those television shows about hoarders. Yeah, yeah. And people just pack rats. Because we've been getting books sent to us for all these years, and we just throw them in there. We just throw them on the desk, and they pile up in the papers. This is the great thing about when we had our friend, the late Rich Brenner, come in, when he would come in a couple times a year to fill in for you, is he would always take a few of the books, because he was a voracious reader. And he goes, okay, if I take a few books, Rich, it's okay if you take all of them. Take everything <laughs> take you want. every single book we got. Yeah. Uh, anyway, take a look at that picture and, and, and see if you think that we need some some help or if you you know how to fix this uh, particular problem it's uh, not the it's not the greatest picture in the world but it'll give you an idea of just yeah. the uh, the kind of conditions that by the way we've put ourselves in 
we don't blame anyone. No blaming anyone. We're not, we're not blaming the government. We're not blaming Bain Capital. We're not blaming anybody for the condition of our office. But uh, I only mentioned the uh, word Facebook because we'd like to talk to you if you are an owner of FB. That's the symbol for Facebook, of course, on the NASDAQ markets. Stock was up a dollar today, by the way. Um, because this looks like it's turning out to be one of the biggest fiascos in the financial markets in a long, long time. We had people playing all kinds of games last week. And they were ramping up and getting people all excited, and you got to get in on this. I mean, it's the oldest story in the world, isn't it? It's yeah. the oldest story. You got don't don't yeah. And they had people trying to get in at that insider price, and if you had a broker who had the uh, inside edge, they might be able to to get it for you. Which turns out to be so what? Right? <laughs> Big deal. You know, it didn't. It didn't double on the first day or anything crazy like that. At Mediate.com, they've got another brilliant little piece calling out Jim Cramer for hyping the thing. So he hyped it, and then he, he went the other way? He's pooping on it now. Yeah. Forbes writer Todd Ganos called Cramer out on his backtracking, calling his comments ridiculous. Here's what he wrote. A mere two trading days after Facebook shares went IPO, they had fallen from the 38 offer price yeah. to below 31 intraday. Right. When this happened, market madman Jim Cramer ridiculously commented on CNBC that the underwriting brokers should have known that the shares were not worth 38 bucks. What were they thinking? These comments are in direct contrast to comments prior to the IPO that Facebook shares were something that everyone needed to have. Of course, Kramer is disingenuous. He well knows the job of the sell-side broker to get as much as they can for their client, in this case, Facebook, as possible. Who is he kidding? I love it. That's a great criticism. But there's a couple things working here. And, you know, he's almost able to defend himself but not quite because there were a lot of skeptics last week even amateurs like us Mm -hmm. and you know that i've made my share of of mistakes in this this particular area of endeavor buying and selling stock i didn't make the mistake in this particular and and you know by the way a year from now it may turn out that i did make a mistake and didn't buy it okay i mean who knows by next week it could be 45 people will already be in the you know, in the green. I mean, that could be. I, I, so you know up. that's true. Fess up. Did you buy this stuff? 866-482-1011. And how are you feeling? And what were the conversations like if you actually use a live broker Wow. to, to, to do this? You didn't just buy it in the aftermarket. I was uh, watching Fox Business earlier this afternoon, and Charlie Gasparino, who's got some uh, <laughs> inside information as best as he can share with with folks on a subject like this. We love Charlie. He says, and and uh, this is the charge now, because there's already lawsuits by people who think they got hosed last week. Right. Just got lied to or, or information was being withheld. But these uh, these brokerages are supposed to, they're supposed to keep their mouth shut. They're not supposed to say a word leading up to the initial public offering. So there's a, it's a quiet period, I think they call it. You're not supposed to say anything to anybody. You're not supposed to put out any uh, information. And boy, and if you do, you have to put it out to everybody. You can't just give it to your buddies, your your big heavy hitters. And Gasparino says, "Wait a minute, there's a there's a loophole in that rule." And the loophole is you're not supposed to publish, write anything, but they can't stop you from talking. To your friends. That's a major loophole. Can you believe? That's kind of a when big loophole. When he said that, I couldn't believe it. And you know what? I believe everything he just said. Well, when was this rule? That. Was this rule written pre-telephone? When was this rule even written? I mean, how would you? That's just, like it doesn't count if you yeah. haven't written it down. But if you tell someone, I'm not kidding. That's dumb. I saw it. That's a I major heard loophole. Gasparino I like that. that. Yeah. All right. If you're a uh, Facebook shareholder, eight six six four eight two one zero. One one. I mean, we were all talking last week, and this is going to be their defense, Facebook's defense. Look, there was a lot of talk that the uh, earnings weren't what they were billed to be, 
and the stock might not be what it's being pitched at in terms of the price. So therefore, like any other purchase, any other stock, it's buyer beware. It's not our fault. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the lawsuit and the critics are saying, wait a minute. You pumped this sucker up like a big giant balloon and then you threw more stock out onto the, onto the floor there, the trading floor, not that there is one, but figuratively speaking, because you wanted to make everybody think there was such a high demand that I gotta get in on this. So, oh, okay, we'll put some more, we'll put some more bottles of a Coke out there on the shelf because people want it so bad. We'll put some, that's what they did. That's the charge. I don't think it's gonna stick. I think they're going to be able to get away with this. And and yeah, by the way, a, a rising stock price will cure all. Oh, of course. All it has to do is is, is pop back in the next. Who was the great season. coach that said winning is the best deodorant? I don't know. It's been credited with several guys, but I heard John Madden say it a lot, and he's absolutely right. Once you start getting the thing go up, people are going to forget right. all about this. Uh, Kramer said, according to this, in Tuesday morning squawk on the street, look, it's in the wrong hands, talking about Facebook. It's a hot potato. The company didn't do a good road show. Suddenly you go back and realize, wait a minute, maybe this was like all the other social media companies that became public, which were, by the way, disastrous. All the deals that have come uh, have lost a lot of money for people, and this now seems like it's still one more of them. End of quote from Jim Cramer yesterday. Of course, the week previous, he'd been telling us, no, this was not like the other right. ones. And I know you hate Kramer. I know you hate his guts. You I think he's the biggest fraud walking the earth. I don't yes, hate you him. Do. I just know people. You're not one of these people that just swear by what he says. He contradicts himself about 80 times a year. And he's not. So does every analyst everywhere. And he's because so, he's so public with what right, he says, right. every time he's ever wrong, then it's the end of the world. And and I think if, if if you step back and and look at what he's generally saying about things and you don't trade on every word out of his mouth, he's a pretty smart guy. But they they run that the way he runs that show. I mean, it's very entertaining, but it's always Oh my God, you have to buy this or, Oh my God, I can't believe people are buying this. That's how he runs. So if, if you get, if you get called out on that because you were incredibly adamant about this and very passionate about this, but then you backtracked days later, I mean, you're, you're going to get nailed on stuff like that. That's no different than the guys who tap football, (laughs) football scores. Fair enough. Yeah. In fact, maybe that's what he ought to be doing. (laughs) He might be better at that. Jimmy the Greek was understated compared to this guy, though. Jimmy the Greek was understated and and very reserved compared to Jim Cramer. So we got uh, three lawsuits. We got one that was filed in New York by a guy from Maryland, and he says he represents all Facebook investors. Really? He says the market was negligent on how they handled day one, causing folks to lose money. Uh, Another investor sued in Los Angeles. He says Facebook made materially misleading statements in its prospectus, like they don't all. Not that that's an excuse. Yeah. I'm not fronting for anybody here. Third lawsuit filed on behalf of three investors seeking class action status against the folks who uh, underwrote the whole deal, as well as the company, the executives, and the directors. Mark, you might want to get out your checkbook. <laughs> Oh, Here's no. what I think. I mean, I think there's no question social media is here to stay. Not every social media platform is going to be here five years, 10 years, 15 years from now. And I can't tell you if Facebook is going to be one of those. I think they've got some pretty smart guys behind it. And I think they've tried to incorporate a lot of different things that make it possible that five years from now, it could still have as many users as it has now, if not some more. Uh, but I don't know about making money off of it. I don't know about being able to trade the advertising and the entire mindset. I mean, we're talking about really big picture, 30,000 feet kind of stuff. And we're talking about trying to take everything that you like, movies, food, products, what you use in your family life, the vacations you like to take, all of everything and trying to create algorithms based on that and selling that information to companies that can use it and make money. And I don't know how you present that to a group of people and say that's going to be valuable. I, I don't know how you do that. 
I think you're just about on target with that in terms of comparing that mm-hmm. with how everybody else is making money these days on the uh, Internet. And look, we'll tell you the truth about what has happened with radio in the last 10, 15 years. Yeah. Essentially, the business model has been collapsing. It has. Because a lot of advertising dollars that used to be right here mm-hmm. have migrated to other places. And one of radio's desperate moves, if you want to call it that, is to, well, we gotta be, uh, we gotta be, uh, we gotta have a website. We gotta be, uh, do social media. We gotta do this. And you know what? After 10 years of this, nobody's made a dime yeah. in radio with social media. Yeah. Or with websites. Yeah. It doesn't work because if you listen to us, and you like what we do, to move you beyond that in terms of profitability potential to other platforms, it just has not worked out. Well, I would also say that radio in some ways was kind of slow to embrace digital, and the ones who did put up really crappy websites that were just basically full of spam but even and the good ones. flash. There, there have been a couple of places that have done it right with real interaction and real information that their listeners have wanted. But even in social media, where we're all working on the same plane, you can see that a lot of people in radio have blown it. They're not really interacting with people. They're just kind of going, hey, a snoozer has tickets to Lady Gaga coming up at 6. And things of this nature that don't really allow yeah. the, the, the listeners to interact. It's yeah, go just- to our website and find out. What's on the radio? Hey, here's our schedule. Brad and Britt, they're on three to six, three to seven. Hey, yeah, I'll go to that website every day to find that out. And now you, you gotta have more than that. You know that I'm a fan of Twitter. I like Twitter. I use it a lot. I get a lot of news and information. I'm able yeah. to help market the show through Twitter. But if there's a Twitter, if it, there's an IPO of Twitter that goes on the market next week, I ain't buying it. I don't know how you make money on that thing. I'm not smart enough to figure out how that thing's going to become profitable. I've seen people lose money on Twitter. <laughs> but I, I don't know how you make money on that thing. Hey, let's talk to Ken. You're on the Brad and Britt Show. Hi, Ken. Hi. I just wanted to, to reinforce your point on Kramer. I've got two quotes for him on Facebook. The first one is he called it the deal of the century before it went public. And the second one is mad money the day before the Facebook IPO. He said, any investor who can get shares of the Facebook IPO should purchase as many shares as possible. <laughs> then the, the morning of the IPO, he said it was going to open at 55 to $65 a share. So now he's got a completely different tune that it completely bombed. But, you know, in his eyes, this was the deal of the century. But, okay, but uh, and I, I do watch Kramer a, a decent amount when I'm able to, but I didn't feel any compulsion to act on on anything you didn't like feel this. like this is one of those he was really screaming at you you got to get in the no. game on this okay no I mean, right. I mean i know he said that uh and i'm making an excuse for him and well, uh, I, don't, I mean I, I i do as much as i as you pointed out i don't hate him i do kind of think that he needs to be called out on some of this stuff it does make me uncomfortable just to do a beat up on kramer hour but he did kind of he, he did kind of eat it on this but one. he he blew it on this one there's there's no now ken you weren't a buyer were you no, I'm a, an investment advisor. I've been doing this 25 years. Ah, so what were so, pe- were people calling you up last week saying I, I want in? I had people calling on it, yeah. And uh, uh, most of us, I think, were steering people away. So you know, the valuations there didn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Can you can you imagine any social network that would make sense for people to buy as a standalone IPO? It's hard. I mean, I, I like profits. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I look at valuations and, uh, yeah. you know, when you've got something where you've got five billion in revenue and you're going to have a hundred, a hundred billion market cap, um, that's a, that's a tough, uh, that's a tough one to, to follow. You bet. We're glad you called, Ken. Thank you very much. There. Hi, Ken. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good, What's man. Up? I, uh, I did not buy. Don't have that kind of money laying around to do that with, but, uh, I do think the system actually worked out this, this time and people were, able to see through the evaluations that were clearly ridiculous sure um but no i was you know and you got me thinking uh about you know what kind of social media could you you turn into an ipo or anything like that and i i can't come up with one but i could think of these uh like southern savers and groupon uh, uh, those kinds of sites don't get me that started. Were actually 
Yeah, we, we could not guns. figure. I I still can't figure out the Groupon thing. But it's 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 but been doing well lately. I thought they, they came it's out with been a good, doing better. Yeah, but, I think they've been. I mean, I've I've been surprised but, uh, myself. At, at this point, at this point, I wouldn't get near that one. No, for the simple reason no. that I don't trust what they say. Oh, I agree. I I think that it's highly possible that uh, people like that who have really taken a hit hard since they went public. And uh, it was exposed their business model on, on how much money they get from people who right. do the Groupon thing when you get it on your email, and how little money goes back to the. I mean, and, and they never have repeat customers. And it seems to me to be. It seems to me to be built for a recessionary or slow economy. If the economy starts rocking, it doesn't seem like it's going to do as well. And I'll give you another hint on this one. There's a guy named Frank Sennett who is one of the editors of Time Out Chicago, S-E-N-N-E-T-T, and he has written a book about Groupon and the putting Already? together of it. Yes. Already yeah. books about it's, it? And it's going to be coming out very, very soon for Check That Out. It's Frank Sennett, and I don't know exactly what the book's going to be called, but, yeah, there's a book about Groupon coming out now, soon. See, if you want to buy stock, buy, buy stock. Go ahead. I was going to say, don't you think we've gotten smarter about these groups like J.P. Morgan and, and those groups and their evaluations as, as just you know normal consumers? I think we... We don't give them um, the credence we used to give them. We do our own research, and people. I hope so. Um, I, I think the system is actually actually working now. It's flushing out uh, these crazy I evaluations. Wonder. I, I wonder because when I saw on Friday morning people standing outside on the streets of the uh, NASDAQ headquarters in New York, standing there as if the Beatles were just landing in America. Like a new iPhone had come out? Exactly. Oh, God. They were clamoring. They were, they were It's like they were climbing the walls. I want in, I want in, I want in. I thought, well, Ken, you're right, but you're really not right, because they had some folks whipped up into a frenzy over this. They probably paid them to go stand out there. <laughs> you, you know think what? They were fake? That's not the, that's not the dumbest thing I've <laughs> ever heard. So. That's actually a good thing. That's I a good expenditure. Have a good one, guys. Thanks, man. Glad you called. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine how all that would work out. But then these guys fall, this guy, uh, filing, filing this lawsuit and he's going, man, the market really hyped the whole thing and made us buy it. <laughs> yeah, I, Come on. Right. But sadly, the, the defense against that is that is the market. The right. market is hype. Yes. And until you can cut through. But the idea that after four days that some kind of ultimate decision has been made yeah. about their prospects is just silly. It really, really is. Also, who says you have to buy it the second it goes on sales and IPO? You don't get a free T-shirt with that. You can wait a little while and see how it does and then yeah. get in. My yeah. God, people. But not if you have to have it. Well, i got to have it. It's mine. Kramer told me I had to have it. <laughs> <laughs> Hi there, and welcome along to the Brad and Brit Show. Just uh, having some fun, talking the news here, talking some trash, trashing Jim Kramer for, the, you know, uh <laughs> Sometimes he just gets beat up on. I gotta say. Well, you know, if if you if you're out there every day doing this, you're gonna be wrong enough times. And uh, yeah. but the problem is, he sounds so confident in his wrongness. Yeah. <laughs> and so when it works out, he's the genius of the world. And when he's not, he's the biggest dope. No, there was a, ever walked the street. The guy who We're talking was, about Facebook because he was high on Facebook. The guy who was our first general manager. Uh, when we were on the FM station, Brad, I'd, I'd heard that he signed up for some of that stuff from thestreet.com. Some of those little inside tips, you know, that Kramer would give back in the day. Yeah. And when we were on the FM station, we ran the Jim Kramer show, uh, for a little while, for about the year that he did radio. And I heard the guy made a little money. I heard the guy, it wasn't huge amounts of money, but I heard that he would follow, you know, they would tell you, sell this the next day, buy this. And I heard the guy was making a couple of bucks off of well, the deal. Why not? Be- because he's dead flat wrong about Facebook doesn't mean no. that uh, you disregard everything. No. So anyway, uh, we'll, we'll leave uh, Kramer aside and move to another investment genius, a guy who really knows how to make money in, in markets, and that's Mitt Romney, uh, who will be the cover boy of Time Magazine this week. Uh, he sat down with Mark Halpern. Their political reporter, who's also seen on, I'd say, every cable network. I've seen him everywhere. Yeah. He's, he is pretty ubiquitous these days, Mark Halpern. 
uh, carved out a pretty good niche for himself, and he got Mitt Romney to sit down with him. And uh, not only is it in print, but voila, they've uh, provided us with nice bite-sized clips of various questions and some answers here. Maybe we'll be able to uh, drill down inside and and see what the soul. So when the president says he wants to focus a lot of the election debate on your career at Bank Capital, do you welcome that? Well, uh, of course, I'd like to also focus on his record. What, what is it? What is it that he's done as the president of the United States over the last four years? Has he uh, uh, established the revitalization he, he promised he would bring to us? Did he hold unemployment below eight uh, percent? It's been what thirty nine months now. That hasn't happened. He promised it would happen by virtue of his stimulus. Gasoline prices are people happy with those? Home prices? They happy with the home prices? The level of foreclosures? Do they think someone can do better? There's a, there's a president who spends his time blaming other people for the fact that he has been unsuccessful in turning around this economy. And I think the reason you're seeing across the country people saying they'd like to try someone new is because they believe this president, while he may be a nice guy, is simply not up to the task of helping guide an economy. All right. That's the uh, in over his head theory and uh, elect me and gas prices will uh, automatically fall because presidents control gas prices. We know that's not true. Presidents control home prices. We know that's not true. And that was uh, clip one. What's clip two here? I know you think that working in the private sector in and of itself gives you gives you insight into how the economy works. But what specific skills or policies did you learn at Bain that would help you create an environment where jobs would be created? Well, that's a bit of a question like saying, what have you learned in life that would help you lead? Uh, my, my whole life has been learning to lead from my parents to my education uh, to the experience I had in the private sector. I don't think those questions were analogous to you. Uh, not only that, he's, he's answering the question with the question. I don't like your question. I'm going to ask the question that I'm accusing yeah, you of asking. Of course. To helping run the Olympics and then, of course, helping uh, guide a state. Uh, those experiences in, in totality have given me an understanding of how America works and how the economy works. 25 years in business, including business with other nations, competing with companies across the world, has given me an, an understanding of what it is that makes America a good place to grow and add jobs and why jobs leave America, why businesses decide to locate here, why they decide to locate somewhere else, what out outsourcing causes. Or, or what it's what it's uh, what it's caused by rather. So it, it's a. It, I mean, I I understand, for instance, uh, how to read a balance sheet. Uh, I happen to believe that, that having uh, been in the private sector for 25 years gives me a perspective on how jobs are created that someone who's never spent a day in the private sector, like President Obama, simply doesn't understand. Do you know how to use Quicken? Does Obama know how to use Quicken? We got one more here for this segment. I think we do have one more here. But you welcome scrutiny of your business record, is that right? Well, uh, Mark, what I can tell you is this. The uh, uh, fact is that I spent 25 years in the private sector. And that, that obviously teaches you something that you don't learn if you haven't spent any time in the private sector. Uh, if, if you were to say to me, tell me what you learned from your, your schooling that would help you be a president, it's like, well, how do I begin going through a list like that? Uh, you, you learn through life's, life's experience. The president's experience has been exclusively in politics and as a community organizer. Both of those are fine areas of endeavor. But right now, we have an economy in trouble. And someone who spent their career in the economy is more suited to help fix the economy than someone who spent his life in politics and as a community organizer. 866-482-1011. 866-482-1011. How do you think he sounded there? Sound like the kind of guy that uh, you want to cast your your lot with? It's a very isolated, yeah, it's pretty convincing, con I'll say concentrated he, little. I'll say he's convincing, and if the, the I mean, I understand that if voters are looking and the economy is the number one thing, and they're looking for a guy who can do that, I could see how listening to him talk about that stuff would give them a lot of confidence in him. I, I could see that. But those aren't tough questions that he was asked. No, because when he just says, "Well." You know, I've been in the private sector for 25 years. Obviously, because I've been in the private sector for 25 years, I know how jobs are created. So, therefore, make the leap, make me president, and I will make jobs in America across thousands of different sectors of our economy the way I did, although he really didn't, <laughs> some people say, in the private sector at Bain. 
Brad and Britt program here. Welcome along. We're glad you're listening and uh, you're allowing us to travel with you this afternoon. We just played uh, three different clips from Mark Halpern's sit-down with Mitt Romney that's the basis of this week's Time Magazine cover story. And uh, we heard a, a confident mm-hmm. businessman mm-hmm. saying, give me the reins. I know how to fix stuff. I think that's part of the reason you're seeing some of these poll numbers that show that people think that he will be better for the economy than Obama has been. Now, let me let me throw three names out at you before you get too excited about Mitt Romney, businessman, being president of the United States, and that being the sole qualification. Donald Trump, Ross Perot, Lee Iacocca. During my lifetime, all three of those names we're bandied about as saviors. This is what we really need. We really know that the problem is if we could just get a businessman in there, everything would be fine. You saw what happened. I mean, Donald Trump is a complete fraud. We know that. <laughs> uh, Ross Perot just went off the rails. Well, he had some good ideas, and he did sound the alarm on NAFTA and some of these trade things, but I don't know if he would have been you know, the guy for president. Well, actually, Ross Perot was a more... Um, diligent political thinker than Mitt Romney will ever be. Mitt Romney does not have a political philosophy, in case you didn't know. You might be right about that. Remember, he's been on all sides of republicanism during his career. I was on, okay, the, so he's, I was on the Sarah Palin Facebook page and somebody right. was just killing her. You ever, you never have a nice thing to say about Mitt Romney. They were just, <laughs> they're just saying you never have one thing nice to say about him because you're right. He's all over the place. And then there was the Lee Iacocca era. Remember that. Remember? Yeah. Because he'd uh, turned around Chrysler yeah. after doing so well at Ford and being fired years before. And he was a straight talker. He was a straight talker. But Lee Iacocca took himself out of the political considerations because he knew he didn't have the temperament. He knew it. Well, I'll, I'll take your three and I'll raise you one. Who was the only president in of uh, the, the 44 that we've had who had a master's in business administration well that's got to be george w bush george w bush how'd that work out i'm, I'm, I'm and just that asking. doesn't automatically mean that the no. next guy with that no degree but i mean you I just say it, it, it's it, it, business 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 the only guy that we've ever had with an mba and i don't think anybody Brit, would say that those were great Brit, economic years for us Brit, i'm trying to be as unfair as i can and you're being more unfair than me stop Damn, it i'm sorry for undercutting your unfairness sir lucas hello Hey, guys. Hey. Well, I think it's really fascinating. Every time I hear some, one of these guys say, you know, I'm a businessman, I know how to fix it, my immediate follow-up, if I was the interviewer, would be, and what is the fix? What is it you're going to do? Right. And he never answers that question. Right. I can remember once being on Handelman's program asking Wayne Allen Root, a leader of the Tea Party, the same question, yeah. what would you cut? But you know, you know what, you know what the answer is. Uh, cut spending, cut taxes, government smaller, less government, smaller government. Cut waste, right? As though nobody's trying to cut waste right right now, or that it's easy to identify. Exactly. As I understand it, the government has between one and three percent, maybe waste. It's way lower than uh, often than private sector waste, uh, because it's what we're after all the time. We're always looking for it. So I want to know exactly what is he going to do, and he doesn't seem to have any specific policy proposals. And more importantly, when you run a business, if you want to improve the profitability of that business, one of the central ways you do it is you fire people. And you can't, when you're running the the American government, every person in America is a part of your business, and you can't fire some of those Americans. You uh, can't send them to another country. Right, Lucas, I'm glad you brought this up. And by the way, he wasn't the CEO of Chrysler Corporation or anything like that. No. Anyway, I, I think he's in a, a different business right. to begin with when he talks about his business yeah. experience, and I don't think it translates. But I think that the skills that make you extremely successful at the level that he was working at are not the skills that will do you well as the president of the United States. You have to be able to to bring coalitions of people together. Now, has Barack Obama been a uniter or a divider? He said he would be a uniter, and he's now accused of being the biggest divisive president ever. Well, as you know, 
uh, you have to deal with a Congress. But Mr. And, 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 and we know it's a different thing. But and, Mr. And, Romney, right. hang on a second. Mr. Yeah. Romney would say that he brought coalitions together as a conservative in a generally liberal commonwealth in Massachusetts when he was the governor. He's not going to say that, though. So he, he has he said that before. I didn't just make that up. But he won't say it now. I've no. heard. Go ahead. Oh, uh, I, I just want to say, well, look, the way he made his money, as I understand it, is principally by going into companies and cutting things, mm-hmm. removing parts of the company that were weighing down profitability. And what are you going to do with the American government? You can't break it up and sell the parts. And if you do, those parts that you sell, those things that you turn into private sector, do not make it lighter weight. We sold off parts of the military to Blackwater, and it got more expensive to hire soldiers. Private soldiers, so, private sector soldiers are more expensive than public sector soldiers, my friends. But do you know how much the Grand Canyon could bring in if we put it in the free market? That's right, Lucas. Just, just sell off pieces of America. And look, in the short term, that looks great for the bottom line. But in the long term, we're selling America. That's right. Yeah, hey, wait, there's an idea. Teddy Roosevelt was the ultimate socialist because he socialized all these wonderful yeah. areas of the country that could have been so much more profitable. If we would uh, exploit the resources, if we could just rip off the top of the Rocky Mountains and get in there and get the oil. It's not just that, but (laughs) the Marriott Grand Canyon sounds so fantastic to me, or the Hilton Yosemite. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Lucas, you're a genius. You don't even know it. Teddy Roosevelt was the ultimate American because he said these things are part of what's essential to America. And I don't know that Mitt Romney knows what's essential to America. He knows what's essential to business. The Obama campaign getting a little bit of a shock this morning when the results of the Quinnipiac poll for Florida were released. Mitt Romney, a six-point lead now. It's good news for them. In Florida, 47 to 41. They said if they added... uh... If they add a Rubio to the ticket, it's only like 49 to 41, so it's a negligible difference. Right. So that's not good news for uh, Marco. <laughs> if he, Marco! Paula! If he, Steve, you're on the Brad and Britt Show. Hello. Good afternoon. Hi, Steve. Um, I was just uh, listening to you guys, and uh, when Romney said that his education would qualify him for president, he later said that he wouldn't be able to... Uh, Describe how that would qualify him. So, I just I didn't know if you guys noticed that when you were playing those clips. Well, I I think what you get from Mitt Romney, and remember, uh, just go back a couple of months ago, all the criticism that was being leveled at him by fellow Republicans and the dissatisfaction numbers. Remember the anybody but Romney period of American history. It's so long ago. Oh yeah. And because he had the big money behind him, he was able to crush his opponents in state after state after state. And uh, we weren't subject to that advertising here in North Carolina because you know, by the time we had our primary a couple weeks ago, it was long past. But you saw the commercials that were running in other states if you were watching cable or you saw what was going on. Or you saw them on YouTube, sure. And he just, he just crushed oh, yeah. people with a character assassination style Spots against uh, Newt Gingrich and Sam Torum and right. Ron Paul and, and everybody else. Although he had a kind of a peace treaty with with uh, Ron Paul, he had kind of a. I better not say it; it'll get me in trouble. <laughs> there, there were two bad guys during the 1940s who made a pact with each other oh, not to invade each other. I see what you're and, doing and, there. And yeah. so, I don't want to say their names because then someone will accuse me of playing the blank card. We're all aware. I didn't mean that, right? But uh, Ron Paul and. And, and Mitt Romney, anticipating what's going to happen now. you got a convention. and Well, we were, we were just talking uh, a couple of moments ago during the traffic and everything when the microphones were off. And we, the key to this whole deal when Barack Obama gets Mitt Romney in a debate is to make Mitt Romney lose his cool. If you can get him off and get him to sputtering, that's when he starts making $10,000 bets. That's when he starts saying stuff. And, and that's what Barack Obama's mission is going to be. And I think vice versa. Romney's mission is going to try to be to get Obama uh, to lose his cool, to knock him off his game. It's a little hard to do, though. Hmm. Hmm. Anything else, Steve? No, that's it. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks. The pizza will be there in 30 minutes. <laughs> or less. <laughs> no charges, by the way, for the passenger who diverted the Charlotte-bound flight to uh, Maine. See, the, the, the interesting umbrella over this campaign at this point here in May, and this is so early – 
if you listen to talk radio, and you do, and you're engaged, and you read, and you're kind of into politics, you are in a distinct minority in this country. I don't care what the polls are saying, who people would vote for. Most people who are even responding to these polls are not really engaged. They're just going by things that go kind of flying over their head that they may hear. They're not studying the issues. They're not studying the candidates. They're really not involved. Like the gay marriage thing with Obama, that that kind of stuck because a lot of people talked about that. It showed up on on monologues. It was a local story. Yeah, it was. It was. It was that that thing was kind of a big deal. But other stuff in the campaign, it's just it's a lot of noise to a lot of America. Until you get into the uh, debates in the fall, six eight weeks right after Labor Day, most of America is not engaged so i think you have to really discount you have to discount certainly the national numbers which are even anyway uh which is probably about accurate but that doesn't that doesn't account for what goes on in states all 50 of them it just doesn't and uh i think we're all smart enough around here to to kind of understand that that's the the uh the big game that's being played around us here talking about uh, Mitt Romney's latest uh, interview that's out there, easy to find if uh, you want to, Time Magazine. So if you're following us on Twitter, at Brad and Britt, B-R-A-D-A-N-D-B-R-I-T-T, I tweeted that out probably about oh half an hour ago, maybe an hour ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, unless I'm wrong here, what is fascinating about a guy who's been a master of the universe running for president. He is our first true master of the universe running for president. George W. Bush was in business, but you could hardly call him a master. Yeah, he was a, a miserable failure, really, at business. Right. <laughs> Didn't do that well. And he got that sweetheart deal, walked away with a lot of money mm. uh, from the Texas Rangers deal. If it mm. wasn't for that, I don't know. Essentially, George Bush was attached to the Rangers because they wanted to build that stadium. And they knew that having a guy with his political connections and the name George Bush would help them build the brand new stadium. Maybe you should say the Texas Rangers were attached to George Bush. Kind of really. Yeah. That's kind of how it worked. uh, I mean, I'm not, and I'm not real direction. I'm not saying anything that hasn't been said and written about for a long time down in Texas. The boss, and I'm using that in the most generic way possible. If you've worked for a big company or even a, a smaller company, if the boss is really, really well-heeled and you like your boss to be doing well, because that usually means you're doing fairly well, too. Better chance of it, right? I hope. But very often, they they live in bubbles. Depends who they are, where they are, how big and impenetrable the bubble is. Right. But uh, everybody I know that I've worked with... There's a, a certain degree of that. There's just no question about it. Now, at the level that Romney was at, I'm betting he was in a real big bubble. I'll bet you he didn't want to be told that he was ever wrong. He didn't doesn't because see the way he bristles, yeah, in debates when he's challenged when and he's stuff. challenged. Yeah. And, and and I always thought that the great bosses were the ones who want to be told by somebody you're wrong, although. When you hear stories about the obsessiveness of Steve Jobs, I don't know whether he'd like to be told he was wrong or not. I don't know. I have no idea. But then, since he always seemingly, in the end, had been turning out to be right, he gets justified. But for every one of him, again, there are very few other copies. You kind of wonder what the Mitt Romney management style is, and that's that's what I'm wondering. We've had a chance over the past three-plus years to see the Obama management style, and in many ways... I don't like it personally because Obama is one of these guys who says, you guys go figure it out, come back to me with the results, and we'll talk again. And I don't think that that has served him well, for example, in the health care debate. I thought that really turned disastrous for him, particularly when the Democrats are butting heads with each other and just fighting around. Again, it's like herding cats. I felt he should have had a little more, I'm not saying micromanaging, but I'm saying he should have inserted himself a little bit more into that debate a little bit sooner. But you realize he was trying to do exactly the opposite of what had been done 15 years before yeah. 
by the Clintons. Right. Where they walked in with a telephone book size thing. We've got it all figured out. This is how it's going to be. Here it is. And we're going to have these fake hearings. So, right. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I right. think that there's a, a happy yeah. medium yeah, yeah, somewhere yeah. in right. there. Fair, fair enough. Um, but Romney being the control guy that he is. Yeah. Essentially is saying, here are the three things about me that I don't want to talk about really. And if you bring them up, Shame on you. Bain Capital, governor of Massachusetts, my religion. Yeah. How dare you even allude? And you know what? Those are the three most important things that people really want to know about him, I think. And unless he opens himself up, and I saw, what's his name, from the actor studio, James Lipton, yeah. talking more about this, that when you watch him speak... And Lipton is great. I love that guy. I mean, he, just, I, he really is good. He, he, He's one of the best interviewers you will ever see. He, he really is. He is making the case that certainly in today's political world, it was probably this way when Franklin Roosevelt was running, but today you really must be an actor. You have to be an actor at a certain level. And I thought about, in, in my opinion, the two most open Republican stars of the last, oh, 30 years. And, and two names came to mind. And they came to politics from other walks of life. They are Ronald Reagan yeah. and Jack Kemp. Yeah. Jack Kemp, of course, was a great quarterback That's right. for, for years. So he knew what it was like to be in the public spotlight. And, and when he shifted over as a politician, he was so open Interesting. with his thoughts and his ability to touch people. Ask anybody about Jack Kemp who knew him. He's, he ended up being a Republican congressman from upstate New York all those years. Now, he was very popular among... Very popular. And I, I think he really was yeah. very popular among young people. Right. He had a real audience and he was able yes, to outreach. This is an interesting thing because we are just a few weeks away from Father's Day. Who do you think is the more fun father? Obama or Romney? <laughs> no. I mean, think, think about that. Kind of noodle that one over in your head. And I, that, think, I think they're both good fathers. I think the results are that they both have been engaged fathers in their children's lives. But it's, in this case, advantage Obama because the kids are still young. Yeah. They're cute. They're in the White House. And there's still kids at home. Those are all grown 30-plus goons but, like us. But they've all turned out well. I mean, you don't have anybody knocking off liquor stores or anything like that. I mean, you don't have any. There's no. There's no Billy Carter's in that bunch of Romney's kids. And isn't that wonderful? In advantaged America, to have all of your kids turn out really well, <laughs> it's supposed to be that way. Uh, let's talk to caller Mark. We're talking about uh, Mitt Romney leadership qualifications. Don't talk Bain. Don't talk Governor of Massachusetts. Don't talk religion. You gotta, you gotta reveal yourself. Uh, now, Ronald Reagan, by the way, well, I thought did a great job of not revealing himself at one level, but getting the American people to think that they really knew him and were comfortable with him. Yeah. He, he had that acting thing down and for obvious reasons. And, and I, I, I brought up Jack Kemp, but certainly Bill Clinton did too. Oh, yeah. Certainly, Bill. Clinton well, there's a did. bit of acting that's involved with it, as much as people don't want to admit that. And so did George W. Bush, to an extent. He yes, really he could make the connection. Yeah, yeah. He sure did. Hey, Mark. Hey, you know there are bosses and there are leaders. Mm-hmm. I've worked for a lot of bosses. They're not fun to work for. They really don't accomplish anything. They claim credit for what everybody else does, regardless. The hubris is just amazing. But then there are the leaders. And I've worked for only a few people who I would really love to work under and with again. Mm. Um, I don't believe Obama is a leader. He is a boss that goes around waving his presidency in front of people. You're going to do this because I'm the president. If you listen to his speech after, um, what's his name, uh, Osama was killed. I gave the order. I did this. I did that. I, 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 I. It was very little teamwork. It was all about Obama. I don't see Romney as a boss so much as a leader, because if you look at 20 years and what he did, he had to be able to herd the cats. 
he had to be able to articulate a vision, devise a plan to accomplish the goal, and achieve that for everybody's benefit that was involved. Yeah, Mark, I, uh, I hear what you're saying. If I may respectfully disagree with your wrap-up of the way Obama talked about the killing of Osama bin Laden, until these commercials ran, until he started talking about it on the year anniversary, where he did say, yeah, I, I did give the the order against the uh, the ideas of a lot of the other people in that room, I heard him often, almost always say it was the courage of those guys on the ground. It was our brave military who who got this done. Where do you get this idea that, that he has been running around saying he did it? You just read the transcripts of his speeches when he talks about virtually anything. It's I, 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 I. Very little team, very little anything. It's all mm. I did, I right. this, you, you, I... You know what, Mark? I, I, I'll say this, Mark. You are... You're saying something that I've heard other people say, and, you know, it doesn't matter what I say here, that he is kind of a lone wolf in a lot of areas. He doesn't pal around with senators and, and, and congressmen. He doesn't uh, socialize with them. And and I think the, that you're onto something there in terms of why he hasn't been as successful as he might have been. He, he maybe needed to do a little bit more backslapping Brother Obama kind of stuff with these guys. So you're, you're probably onto something there. He does play a lot of golf, though. He does. <laughs> but who does he play with? We never know. He, he, if he, you know what? If he played golf all the time with different members of Congress and folks like that, not just these show right. uh, things with John Boehner once every two years when things are really going bad, you know, it, it'd be fine. But it, it looks like he just plays with you know, the people around him, so yeah, that, know, that doesn't count. Half of, if he spent half as much time actually governing this country as he has playing golf, we'd be in a lot better position. Wait, right? wait, hang on. You're on talk radio, Mark. You're supposed to say, thank God he's out there on the golf course instead of blowing That's right. his uh, time back in the White House screwing up America. That's so right. You're supposed to well, say maybe, it that maybe way. We should just, maybe we should just outsource the presidency to India and give them a little call script like they do when you call up. Oh, hello. Don't give them any ideas. I would like to help you. Would you like a social security check or do you want an unemployment check? Make up your mind. Yeah. My name is Bucky. All right, Mark. Good call. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. 866-482-1011. Oh, he doesn't I I don't know why I wrote down the name Jack Kemp. I don't know why that 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 came just came into your head there. I was was trying to think of people who've come to politics uh, from from other Barack Obama doesn't pal around with senators. He pals around with terrorists. That's what he does. (laughs) He likes to pal around with Bill Ayers and Jeremiah Wright and people like that. People who hate America. So we're back to that whole routine. Oh, again, did you huh? hear that the Tea Party's mad at me because I uh, I endorsed uh, Orrin Hatch in Utah? I didn't hear that. Yeah, Sarah. yeah, it's true. It's true. They're very upset at me. Go look at my Facebook page. They're all mad at me. I, it turns out I'm not against established Republicans. I kind of like them. Six terms works for me. Of uh, all the people you appear with on Fox, Sarah, who's your favorite? I'll tell you who my least favorite is, and that's Bill O'Reilly. No, no, I want be positive for once. Stop being so negative. I like Sean Hannity because he's just so cute, and he's got the tousled hair, and he's got the let not your heart be troubled thing. I just want to give him a big hug. But Bill O'Reilly, I'm going to need a restraining order soon, even though I'm thousands of miles away from him. Hmm. He's undressing me with his eyes all the time. (laughs) You can tell, huh? Oh, yeah, even though I'm not blonde. Well, you are attractive. I am very attractive. I'm undressing you with my eyes right now. I'm going to slap you. I'm going to take out. I'm going to get Todd to get in a snow machine and run you over. All right. Uh, thank you, Sarah. Bestie. How's your daughter? Oh, she's fine. Which one do you mean? The uh, the old one. The old one? Bristol? Bristol? Oh, yeah. she's doing great. And we love the grandkids so much. It's... Give the grandkid kisses. Where, where's, where's Bristol living? She's still in Arizona? I don't know where the hell she is. I put a GPS <laughs> on her and try to lock her down. I don't know where. She's all over the place. How's Todd? You getting along with him Oh, still? Todd and I, we just, we're knocking boots all the time. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Hi, Elizabeth. Hey, 
Abed. Here, yeah, I just wanted to say I so totally agree. I mean, disagree with this guy that just called about Obama being an eye guy. Most people don't understand Obama because they've only heard about him through the right-wing talk radio. They really never follow the guy from the very beginning and understand who he is. I remember when he first came on the scene, everyone was talking about how much he was uh, a consensus builder, and I think that has been basically his downfall, that um, he hasn't been able to achieve most of what he wanted to achieve because he wants everyone to agree. And sometimes as a leader, you have to put your foot down and say, here's what I want you to accomplish, and... Here's what, uh, uh, here are the milestones in order to get there. So what you're, you're saying essentially is he's been too much of a nice guy. Exactly. Yeah. And, and working with Congress, that has no spine, no, uh, no leadership qualities, nothing except how do I win the next election, then you can't get anything done. And I think that has been his biggest mistake is to, that the Congress would buy into what he wanted to do and go ahead and accomplish it. And then you add the fact that Democrats always uh, um, pride themselves in the fact that they uh, they don't uh, they don't match in lockstep like Republicans do. Right. And then you add that in the mix, then you cannot get anything done. And I think that has been used against me. And yes, he used the word, the word we all the time. If you know anything about him, you follow him and not talk, take what the uh, right-wing talk radio tells you, then you, you, you begin to understand that this guy is all about us as a people, not him, even though obviously he's the president, it, it is about him. But really, he wanted to take us as a country in a new direction away from what we've been doing all you know, like all these years. And, um, but the Congress is obviously not there. Right. Oh, we're glad you called, Elizabeth. Thank you very much. Well, I can thank you. Appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know what to add to that, except that uh, we do have a narrative out there that's being pushed by some of our compatriots who uh, do this for a living on talk radio, that uh, if you have a guy who is uh, so wrapped up in the collective we and what's good for uh, other people, and I'm going to take your money to make sure that those other people have a uh, shot, and then that is uh, turned and uh, twisted <laughs> into uh, a dislike of our very system, uh, you have the basis of what's going to be discussed in the campaign from uh, one direction. And then in the other direction, you have a portrayal of Romney as a vulture capitalist. And by the way, that didn't start with the campaign right now, the general election campaign, that started in the primaries where Mitt Romney just pasted Romney with that. Gingrich pasted Romney with that down in South Carolina, and it worked in that one state in South Carolina. Well, they begged him not to do it. They said, you're just giving Obama the playbook to go after Romney in the fall. And, well, guess what? That kind of turned out to be true now, didn't it? Mm-hmm.